when you're stalking these things, you're keeping low, going as quiet as you freaking can, trying to get close, knowing that one wrong step could send them flying, you know, and then um, hoping to God that you're not freaking lining another fish that you're not seeing, that you don't spook everybody, that you actually land the fly in exactly the right spot because that's crucial. And then uh, beginning the retrieve and finding, a, uh, getting a fish to follow. Dude, my heart sits right up in my head when that is happening. It is such, such an incredible rush. Granta are the holy grail of South African saltwater fly fishing. You have to be certifiably nuts to want to catch them. This is Leroy Boeta, Granta whisperer, musician, artist, and master fly tire. In today's episode, we talk about hunting the grunt, hitting the pancake, and tying the perfect deer hair fly. I'm your host, Gordon van der Spey. Don't panic, this is The Feather Mechanic. How did the whole grunter thing start for you? Yeah, so I started really casting flies in the salt in about 2006. Um, but even before that, obviously, I knew that grunter were like a fish that's, you know, considered near impossible to catch and whatnot. So um, the first few years of saltwater fly fishing, I kind of spent just racking up a species list, but not really going for grunter until it became important. <laughs> then... Um, Year around to 2012, 2013, um, I uh, I came across a pod of of heavily feeding grunter in the Claimbrook River with a friend of mine. Now we tried for them before a couple of times and given up basically, but I saw that these things were freaking feeding really hard, and my buddy said he doesn't care because he knows how it goes, you know. But I said, please just drop me at the bank, then you can take your boat and go go on, you know, fish. Or for whatever you want to, but I want to go for those grunter. Anyway, long story short, we ended up catching a, a few of those things. I went, um, he dropped me off in the bank. I went after the fish, um, chucked a jam fly at them, immediately got a hit. The fly got ripped off, and then I only had a couple of Charlies left on me, and I put one on, and we started caning those grunts, man. So, of course, my friend on his boat saw what was going on. He joined me, took my rod. He also caught, um, and um, it was like, this unfair introduction to what grunter fishing is because the fish were absolutely loose. It's the first and the last time I've ever seen grunter feeding like that. But um, I uh, I was hooked. And from then on, all through the years, it just, it just became a priority, you know, um, to kind of get good at catching grunter. Now, by now, obviously, I know that nobody's good at catching grunter. You're... Um, you, you fool yourself if you think you'll ever know everything about them and they work very differently in different systems. But since 2013, it just became a complete obsession. And by now, you know, they're probably my favorite saltwater fish. I'm not an internationally traveled fisherman or anything like that, but um, I don't think you, I can't imagine much more of a rush than, uh, than flats fishing, sight fishing in clear water for spotted grunter around here it's just as good as it gets you know um there's other fish to catch lots of them but um the grunter have me by the short and curlies i'm afraid um and i don't think they're letting go so uh yeah it just developed um over time if you speak to someone and and they tell you they salted a fly fish the the immediate question from a south african perspective is have you caught a grunter Yes, and, exactly. And, and when someone says to you, oh, yeah, no, I've caught Granta, 
you immediately have have respect for the guy. Well, you first ask him the question: How did you catch that grunter? <laughs> you know, and, and if he if he says to you, I, "I caught it cruising on the sand," then you know he's a fishing ninja. What tips would you have for people who who want to go after grunter? If like say now I've never caught a grunter, I want to go after grunter, and I really really want to pin one. For me, there's one rule that cannot be broken ever, um, and that is. Well, it actually comes down to maybe more than one rule, but patience and silence. Um, if you churn up the water on a grunter flat, um, if you kick it around while you're crossing a grunter flat, you're going to alert the fish to your presence, even if you don't see yourself spooking them. They'll know you're there long before you know they're there, and so they'll disappear. So any kind of noise when you're waiting on a flat is forbidden completely um, and then patience obviously um, very very often it, it's a case of standing in one place for a long time on one flat just waiting for a fish to come close to you because chasing down a grunter on a flat is a completely useless exercise it doesn't work um, it is almost always guaranteed to fail um, so um, yeah be quiet be super freaking quiet go 10 times slower than you think you have to go and be patient and wait. If you see a group of feeding grunter somewhere in the distance, you can move yourself closer, but never try to chase down an individual fish or something like that. Um, yeah, the approach to catching those fish is very much more important, I find, than the exact fly pattern that you choose. Um, uh, of course, the fly pattern is quite important and more so with grunter than I think with freaking any other fish I know. Um, but if you don't have patience and a whole lot of stick to itiveness, then grunter is definitely not for you. You you have to accept the fact that it's mostly gonna be um just a difficult mission, you know? Um so it's and, and it's it's also it's not rocket science or anything like that. Um but basics, be quiet and be patient. Without that, you are doomed from the start. Absolutely. And like you said, instant gratification. Is not is not what grunter are there for. If you are not willing to put in the time to get there, then you'll never learn what it takes to catch a grunter. You can read everything you want, you can get all the best flies in your box, um, but um, grunter are very much a thing that you need to you need to watch the fish and you need to um, sort of learn to read their body language. Um, and once you're there, you can start really catching them. So you'll get um, bites when you start that you don't even know of. Um, then you'll start getting bites and you realize it and you'll start missing strikes and all kinds of stuff. It all comes down to learning the exact moment with that when you know that a, a fly is inside your grunter's mouth. And that is one of the things that is incredibly, incredibly easy to miss. Um, I think a lot of oaks get bites and they never even know about it. Um, and that's why sight fishing to grunter is really, in my opinion, the only real way to go. I never don't sight fish for them. It's almost always in clear, sunny skies, very little wind, um, clear water. Um, whereas if you've got the whole turd situation, floating deer hair or foam flies, um, you can fish blind. But um, that's not that's not the same thing as what the whole grunter hunt is about, you know. Um, you don't learn much about fishing for grunter or grunter behavior by just sticking to the surface flies. They're kind of a cop-out, in my opinion. Very nice to have. I also fish them. Make no mistake. But um, 
side fishing is just the way to go for me. You know, small flies, bright water, bright skies, and uh, yeah, there you go. But then you got to watch those fish. There are little cues that you learn, but there's only one way to learn them, and that's through failure. Sometimes the scenery around you is just freaking incredible. I don't want to wax lyrical about all the bullshit that we hear all the time, you know, but um, the experience of fishing for Granta, the rush of stalking them. I mean, we did it yesterday, and um, I've got a flat, a Granta flat that is somewhere in the region. The last time I measured it, it was literally 60 hectares, but then I started exploring it even more and i'm starting to think that we're talking more like two three hundred hectares of granta water that you can just walk and walk and walk um now in the good season this place has some has some has a lot of freaking granta on it but there's very few at the moment um you don't see bunches of tails coming up everywhere um so we just ended up stalking the the like the margins you know reedy margins and found some fish feeding inside there but getting close is so incredibly difficult, man. Within casting distance, it was insane. But that rush, you know, when it comes together, when you're stalking these things, you're keeping low, going as quiet as you freaking can, trying to get close, knowing that one wrong step could send them flying, you know. And then, um, you know, making that presentation, hoping to God that you're not freaking lining another fish that you're not seeing, that you don't spook everybody, that you actually land the fly in exactly the right spot because that's crucial. Um, and, uh, and then uh, beginning the retrieve and finding, a, uh, getting a fish to follow. Dude, my heart sits right up in my head when that is happening. It is such, such an incredible rush. Um, that I will go there just for that. I don't really even need the grunter. That rush of hunting the thing is unreal. You've got about the, the space of a dinner plate to present your fly yeah. in. Yes. And for every 20 times that you manage to get the fly in that space the size of a dinner plate without spooking the fish, without for every 20 times, if you've done it perfectly, you'll maybe get one fish. That's exactly what it is, though. Um, if you can't handle the fact that you're gonna, that you truly face the idea of fishing blank sessions, facing the almighty Mombuck right in the eye, three, four, five sessions in a row, and then get one eat on the next session, but you miss the fish and you're still happy. If that's you, then Grunter is for you. Presentation is everything with Grunter. Absolutely freaking everything. And the presentation is much more than just. Um, casting the fly you know presentation is everything you put into making that fly work and do what it does um, and it only starts with exactly where you land the fly so um, uh, when you're fishing to fish like that on the flats with jam flies and things like that you need to get your fly inside that pancake um, and you have minimal time to get that done then um, you know in the places where i fish i either fish or tailing grunter where exactly the same thing is, is is what you need to do get the get the fly inside the pancake and i promise you it's a split second thing um deadly accuracy um and being there on time is is just as difficult um but then i also fish a lot for cruising fish um that uh, you know you're just sighting it cruising across the flat and there's a very very specific way in which to get that fly in front of the fish and get the fly uh, the fish's attention if, if you fluff that, you'll spook it, almost freaking guaranteed. Um, fish need to be in a specific position as well. They can't be facing away from you. It's a spooked fish, guaranteed. It needs to move across your field of view or directly at you. And then the fly needs to hit the water in exactly the right way. 
place. You know, if it's too far you, um, from the fish, it might never find the fly. If it's too close to it, the result is obvious. He spooks, you know, and he'll get out of there like he was shot out of a gun. Um, placement of the fly is crucial. Then learning the body language of when the thing freaking eats it, actually. That's where my thing is very different. If you're fishing for tailing grunter, you can't see the fish eat the fly. But for 90% of my success, if I can't see it eat the fly, I won't get it because you don't see, you don't feel the bite um, most often. Sometimes they smash a fly, but mostly you won't even feel it. They suck it in and spit it out at the same moment. So you need to be able to see its mouth and see its fins, the way they move. If you can't see the mouth, you need to look at the fins and the way the fish is moving because the bite is indicated by things that you usually wouldn't even see as a bite. Um, so, um, yeah. That, and that's all the presentation, you know, put all of that together and you're going to get something, something to happen eventually. It will happen. Um, but if you don't like that journey, then, um, you know, I don't know, man, maybe some pellet fed stockies for you. <laughs> no, it's not that bad. It's, <laughs> yeah. not, it's not that bad. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. How did fly tying start for you? When I got into fly fishing properly, again, it was like grade six or so. I don't think fly tying was ever really a choice. Everybody that I knew back then, um, oaks that I looked up to, some of the adult oaks that I knew, you know, or the big guys, um, they had like fishing shops or whatever. I met Emsia back then a few times. I went to his shop in, in, in the, the Strand Pavilion that he had back then. Um, and um, there were a few other guys in, in Stellenbosch um, that were sort of like mentors to me. You know, they sort of, um, how was it? They tolerated this lighty that was freaking hammering them all the time, freaking asking questions, questions, questions. Um, but whenever I saw these oaks, they were tying flies, you know. Um, to me, fly tying and fly fishing is pretty much the same thing. I don't know how you can separate the two, even though I, I understand and appreciate that it is, they're, they're not really the same thing. There are a lot of oaks that love fly fishing that don't tie or can't tie or don't have time to tie. Um, and they should also be allowed to fly fish, whether they're fishing their own ties or not. Um, but to me, the two are inextricable. What was your first fly you ever tied? I obviously tied quite a few very, very, very atrocious concoctions. Um, I think the first thing that I ever tied must have been a woolly bugger. Um, uh, I can't remember fully, but the first ones that I really remember were from this uh, this patch of dude. You 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 would never believe the color of this um, this deer hair that I had. Um, it was this dark sort of pink, almost maroon. But I'm not going to, you know. Uh, explain to you exactly what the color reminded me of, but it's not pleasant. It was a very ugly colored here. <laughs> um, but I knew what a Dahlberg diver looked like. And I think one, a mate or somebody, some, it could have been even Mike Doloff. Um, I met him back then as well. None of, none of these oaks will remember that, but um, um, he did a beautiful deer hair diver one day at a fly tying guild or something that we had in Dorpstraat in Stellenbosch. Um, and so I went and tried this and tied a few Dahlberg divers, um, just with pink deer hair. <laughs> they were so freaking ugly, bro. but those are the first things that I actually remember tying and fishing, um, caught a few Berg River smallies with them here and there, but, um, they were terrible, terrible, terrible flies. Um, yeah, 
that was back in the day. That was 1998. When you're tying, like, what's what's important to you? That's an excellent question, and I actually I cycle I with that one all the time. Or for our non non Afrikaans listeners, I have a struggle with that um, because it changes for me sort of all the time. It's um, um, I don't I don't really abide by many rules because it's obvious, you know, especially for for artistically inclined people that the rules are exactly there for you to learn them. First, learn them. Essential. Learn the rules, but then you must start breaking the crap out of them. Um, so, um, you know, for me initially, like I said, fly tying and fly fishing were they came in the same little box, and initially it was a simple case of, um, you know tying things to fish with. Um, but through many years, it became something that I really, I, 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 I loved it. And again, wanted to try and get good at it. Um, and um, I tried all kinds of things. Um, before I started tying professionally, I hardly ever tied the same fly twice. You know, um, I wasn't super worried about pattern. And I, it's weird. I uh, very, very early in my fly tying career or fly fishing, um, I figured out that presentation and how you fish a fly is way more important than exactly what it looks like um, um, in most cases. So, um, you know, it became a practical thing pretty quickly where it didn't really matter to me for the longest time whether it was a pretty fly or not. It needed to be well-balanced and it needed to catch the fish that I wanted to catch. And to some degree, that is still still the rule to me. Um there's a lot going on on Instagram and all these places these days where there's there's really, really outlandish flies being tied. Um, um, and with experience in fly tying, you can look at certain flies and you're like, that looks good. I can understand how a, a person could fall for that. But there's so many things wrong with it. You know, too little hook gape and all kinds of nonsense that people tie into it to make it look sellable. And... Um, mm-hmm. I think that is that is um, in terms of fishing, it's silly. As an art form, um, I don't think we should put limits on 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 flies. Um, I enjoy from time to time to just go sit down and do something completely outlandish um, at the vice. But then most of the time, then the the, the goal would not be to create a fishing tool. Um, when I'm tying things for fishing there's a few very, very important rules for me. And the first one of those is keep it as simple as possible. Adding something there to make you happy is not going to help. And it's usually going to screw the fly up in terms of action and fishability and things like that. So minimalism, minimalism all the way. Um, I like to keep it as simple as possible. I like to make everything myself. I don't like, um, there's a lot of, for example, um, Oaks, I won't uh, name any names, but people are making prefabricated fly parts to the tune that you really don't need to do anything at the vice. You can almost just glue this thing to the hook and there's your so-called fly. And um, that to me isn't fly tying. That's not what fly fishing is about. Um, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, fish the way you want to, really. I couldn't give a crap as long as you're good to your environment, you know. Um, but um, fly tying is about creating something that needs to be fished on a fly rod. Um, and so as simple as possible, as light as possible, always the minimum thread wraps, the minimum materials to reach your goal. Um, if you put any, anything in there to impress people, or to make them think that your fly is really nice, you're just wasting time and practically lying to people. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I could go on and on. About no, I realize. 
but my goal will always be to keep it as simple as possible and as clean as possible. A fly needs to work well, it needs to be balanced, and it needs to cast well. And I don't enjoy flies that I have a battle casting. Um, mm-hmm. So um, so I generally don't do them. You know, I'll, I'll tie, the tie will fly as heavy as you want for you, but for me, quick, simple, let's go fishing. <laughs> Um, but I won't be limited. If I want to tie a stupidly ridiculous 12-hour fly, then also I will do that, and I won't feel like I'm being an idiot, although I might never fish the fly. (laughs) No, but that's the thing. I mean, sometimes sometimes it's not just about tying a fishing fly. Sometimes a fly tying in itself is just a pleasurable thing to do. It's it's basically like like building a 10,000-piece jigsaw puzzle. You know, yeah. you do it for yourself, not for anyone else. Yes. yes. You probably, for me personally, are right up there with the likes of Pat Cohen and all of those guys. Yeah, I <laughs> why, why do you love deer hair so much? And what is your secret to success? Like a couple of tips for someone wishing to do deer hair properly. Just give us some advice. It's a very, very, very kind thing to say. Um, uh, mostly because I, uh, I can't have 1% of the experience those oaks have, Pat Cohen especially, um, uh, when it comes to tying with deer. Although I will say that I would have had that sort of experience if I could get bloody good deer hair. And that is, uh, that's the main secret to tying a good deer hair fly is get the best freaking hair you can. It doesn't have to be expensive, but it has to be right. And that is... Um, for for deer hair bugs specifically now, I'm not talking about dry flies um, or little things like DDDs or whatever. You know, not spun deer hair. If you want to stack um, stack deer hair, you need the best deer belly hair you can find. It needs to be belly hair from a white-tailed deer um, from winter from the east coast of America. The sort of um, like the, the the Rocky Mountains or whatnot. Um, you need a winter belly hair, preferably from a buck as well. So it's big. The hair needs to be long and it needs to be thick, um, extremely thick. Um, so if you want a really tightly compacted deer hair bass bug head, um, you can't do that with hair that's less than five, six centimeters long. Um, because you'll end up getting gaps between the hairs because you can't guarantee that everything that you cut is going to be the same length. Um, there's going to be short little hairs in between. So if you want a big, tightly compacted deer hair head, you need to make sure that you're firstly working with the longest hair you can possibly find so that you can tie it in along the, uh, in the middle of the length of the hair. And when it's flared, you know that every last strand is going to be cut when you trim the fly. If you can't tell that, you can, that you're going to cut every last um, uh, 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 hair when you're trimming the thing you're going to end up seeing that there's a little gap here a little gap there um, stuff like that um, so the best hair you can find is incredibly important long and thick you want that hair to be as thick as as possible um, as things like um, coastal deer hair um, is no good because they need to have gone through a, a, a proper ice cold winter to grow this long um, long and thick hair um so yeah long thick um look for that and then um your thread there's a lot of lot of different opinions on thread um i have come right for many years with just 
good old Danville 3.0. Um, but recently only really started working with um, something that, I, I mean, it was a gift, but it's gel spun of some sort. Um, but it is uh, something that you can untwist. I've had, I've, uh, I'm, I'm, I've got very little experience when it comes to fancy pants threads and things like that. Um, but um, your thread needs to be super strong. You need to be able to put an amazing amount of pressure on the thread. Um, but then you need to be to do that in a way that you don't cut your deer hair while you're doing it. And that's where gel spun to me was kind of a, hey, I don't know, man, it will cut your hair. Um, so I just use the thickest Danville Trio that I can find. Um, so that's another thing. And then um, what you'll see, you can Google this or whatever. Um, look for Pat Cohen's deer hair stacker. Um, without something that can really, really tightly push that deer hair back onto the shank, um, you're going to never build something as dense as what Pat can build or, or something. You need to pack so much more hair onto the shank than you would ever imagine possible. Um, by the time I end a deer hair bass bug head, for example, I'm literally tying a head of the hook eye. Um, the last two bunches, two or three bunches, go in ahead of the hook eye and, and stay on by sheer virtue of will. <laughs> you know? um, and then you take the stacker and literally push it over, over the hook eye and onto the hook and glue it in place, sort of. Um, so um, there's a lot more hair involved than you would ever think is even possible to stack onto a thing. And then, um, last thing, I should have actually maybe mentioned this first or second, is it's the only fly pattern that I ever, ever, ever tie that I don't lay a full thread foundation for. Um, and uh, when I do that with other patterns, um, like you've said, with thread control, I make sure I've got a, a completely unwound bit of thread that I'm working with and they, the flattest possible um, thread foundation on the hook um, and then build everything on, on that. Um, but uh, with deer hair, you can't do that because it makes it impossible to, to, to stack the hair on um, as well as you need to. If there was one thing you could change in fly fishing, what would it be? <laughs> oh man um geez there is so much that i would change in fly fishing if i could if i was the president of fly fishing land um i think there's a there's a there's a, a thing with fly fishing is very special to a lot of a lot of people um but it has an image of being just a rich man's game. In, in uh, I mean, people have been fighting that image actively for years, but it just never really goes away. Um, I think if I would could change one thing, it's kind of like a mindset in fly fishing where, um, and it's we mentioned it before as well, instant gratification. If people can get instant gratification out of their minds, then fly fishing can change the way they look at life. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. It's um, it'll. It'll, it'll teach you an appreciation for little things and a patience like you cannot freaking imagine if you just stop trying to get instant gratification. I don't think I want to change much. I just want to know what the hell is happening to DIY um, because everything's a guided trip these days. And um, that that is counterproductive, not really the spirit of fly fishing in my opinion at all. Um, I think you need to explore. And the more you explore fly fishing, the more you explore yourself and you'll find things out that you didn't know you're going to know eventually, you know. Leroy, thank you for coming on the show. It was fantastic speaking to you.
Um, you've always been a role model for me because I like the way you think and I like the way you do things. And I like the fact that you are an authentic person and you, you live your life in a way that makes you happy and that you don't conform. I like that. And that's evident in the way you live, but also in the ev evident in the way you fish and the way you tie flies. And that's a cool thing. Thank you, my man. It's an honor to be here with you today. It was lucky, Very, very cool. Thank mm -hmm. you.